continuing our John Bible study, going through the Gospel of John. Um, we got, I think the last time we talked, we went off on a little bit of a tangent that was <laughs> unexpected, but was good. Um, I think it was good. I think it was good conversation. I think it was uh, thought-provoking conversation as well. I've actually, uh, there's a uh, another YouTuber I've, I've been talking to a little bit who's following some of our content, and he is actually, um, I think he said he's in the process of kind of working through the Gospel of John, and he's enjoyed seeing some of our like commentary, insight, and stuff like that. Um, so that's been it's been interesting to uh, to see there. But I do think that even though it it kind of got derailed, but it really wasn't derailed. It was on topic. It was good though. Um, but we are picking back up in verse thirteen, John chapter two, verse thirteen, and this is another little section that I think people commonly misunderstand um, or they don't really get exactly what's being said in in here. Um, but we'll start, start reading through it and then uh, we can kind of break out in some conversation on it. Um, so John 2 verse 13, the Passover of the Jews was at hand and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there and making a whip of cords he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and oxen and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables and he told those who sold the pigeons take these things away do not make my father's house a house of trade his disciples remembered that it was written zeal for your house will consume me and we'll stop there before we go on any further um because i think that that's a good that's a good breaking point before we go on to the next so um <clears throat> one of the things that really stuck out to me is in verse um 15 where it says that he, uh, the exact quote is, in making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple. And I think <laughs> a lot of times if, if you're just kind of, because there's a lot of people that are kind of casually aware of this story, but they haven't actually read it themselves. They haven't done any studying of it themselves. Um, and so if you're just casually aware of it, I think people just think, there were people selling stuff. Jesus got mad and he grabbed something and started whipping people with it. And by the text, it wasn't, I think that does some, doesn't do the passage justice. So it wasn't just a heat of the moment thing where Jesus just got mad at what he saw. And then he went in and started actually like kicking butt and taking names. Um, he, he sat down and he made a whip out of cords, which would be a process. Um, it's not something that he's going to do in like 30 seconds. So he's sitting there through this whole thing and he is 
doing this. He's making this. Um, and he is and thinking about this the entire time. And then even let's say he does this quickly and he's able to make this, this uh, whip in five minutes. That's five minutes of sitting and thinking about what's going on, thinking about what he's about to do and still deciding, yes, this is the appropriate course of action. Um, so it's not just a heat of the moment anger at what's going on. It is much more of a, um, a, a righteous anger. Um, you know, even, uh, we see other times in the gospel, um, you know, it talks about being angry and sinning not. So anger by itself isn't necessarily wrong. Um, I think there are good things that we can be angry about. You know, we went and saw, uh, if anyone has not seen this yet, they definitely need to go see it. Um, Tiffany and I went and saw Friday night, the movie, uh, sound of freedom. And I'll say that watching that movie, I had anger, uh, come over me several points. And a lot of it is knowing that this, the stuff that's going on there is real. It's actually happening. And not only is this kind of vague story that's going on actually happening, like the story being told is, is a real story. Um, and this stuff is really going on all over the world. And so even, you know, that me as a, a flawed human, um, a flawed individual being able to see something that is completely wicked and evil and wrong and being able to, uh, have a sense of that, that righteous anger, um, a little bit how much more so would a perfect God seeing something wrong happening have, I mean, even if we're just talking about the right to be angry over this, um, how much more so does he have that right? Um, how much more so is it burning in him to deal with the issues that he's seeing? Um, and one other thing that kind of stuck out to me too and I, I don't, I'm sure I've probably have heard this somewhere. I can't recall where I've heard it before. And I don't recall seeing it in any commentary I read or anything like that. But the kind of the idea, I think it's a good reflection of, um, <coughs> of what, uh, and we may touch on this a little bit here in the next part that we read, but, um, you know, one of the first things that happens when Jesus starts his ministry here is he cleanses the temple. Um, so he gets the stuff out of there. That's not supposed to be there. He gets the, the attitudes. And I think it's, we'll get into this a little bit too, but it's more than just the fact that they're selling stuff. Um, but he, he works on making it a place of worship like it's supposed to be. Um, the first thing he does is try to get it back to what the original purpose was. And I think that's similar to um, kind of in our own personal walks, that that's one of the first things that we really see happen is, you know, it's not an overnight transition um, where you are, you know, uh, before Christ, you are 
completely wrapped up in sin and everything's going wrong and you're just a terrible person and then you meet jesus and the next day you're just completely transformed 100 percent, and you know nothing wrong at all in your life uh not at all how it goes but typically what i've seen is one of the the first things that that we do is um god the holy spirit starts working the stuff to to get rid of the stuff um so you know stuff that you used to want to do you don't want to do or you start to feel convicted about it even if it's a slow process it's that that whole idea of of cleansing the temple um you know now our bodies are the temple and so i think it's and there's there's another instance of this later on um i think it's in matthew um where he, he goes over another instance of clearing out the temple but uh i think it's it's fitting that this is early on in the book of john um it's not something that happens later on it's at least for john it's, it's talked about early on in his ministry and i think that's like i said a good reflection of kind of our christian uh walk and how how that typically looks um yeah, I'll let you, before I go on any further, I'll let either of you guys got something you want to throw in. Something to uh, add to that, how you're talking about uh, cleansing the temple. I was reading a commentary and I was talking about how um, it was pointing to how, like, in the beginning of chapter two, it's the wedding of Cana, right? Which we know, like, Jesus perform turns water into wine. So he performs a miracle of conversion. And then the next excerpt is him cleansing the temple and... Um, performing a work of cleansing. So it was just kind of saying how like, that's, that's how Jesus works in us is like, he converts us and then he cleanses us. Like you were saying, it's not like a, um, you know, one day you're a terrible person and the next you're 100% just like cleanse fully. <laughs> but yeah. I thought it was cool. I think that's super intentional, John, um, to, um, write about like that that miracle of conversion first and then to write about the cleansing of the temple i think that's super intentional by him um to represent what christ does uh in us and through us i knew that was too good of a point for me to have thought it up on my own <laughs> aubrey um yeah when you're talking about uh like a righteous anger um I've heard it said like that obviously the Lord gave us our feelings for a reason, but it's how we respond and react to them. Um, so like he gave us anger, like that is a feeling that we are necessarily supposed to feel, but it's how we respond to it and how we react to it um, that makes it right or wrong. And so there is that righteous anger that um, it says zeal for your house has uh, consumed me. That's in Psalm 69. Uh, David, David writes it. And it's when this passion or love for Jesus like consumes you, when dishonor happens, there's a righteous indignation or a righteous anger that like you're going to be angry about it because something or whoever is dishonoring like the one that you love most. So there is an anger like Jesus was like, they're dishonoring my father and that makes me angry and I want to confront that. So he kind of shows us that like, we're not supposed to just tolerate a dishonor in the house, and especially in the house of the Lord, but anywhere, like when there's dishonor of the Lord, we don't just tolerate it, but we confront it. And in a righteous way, of course, 
but like Jesus demonstrates that in that in that uh, excerpt, I guess. Yeah, and I think I thought it was interesting too. The I mean, even the the small, seemingly small line of uh, zeal for your house will consume me was a a prophetic foreshadowing of Jesus. Um, but one other big thing I think, to, and big thing I think to to kind of look at with this is the idea that. So what what was it that made Jesus mad? Was it the fact that they were just selling animals here, um, that they were kind of turning it into a pseudo marketplace, if you will? Um, that is something that that kind of growing up hearing this story, I was a little confused by, and I heard I had heard people say before that use this this verse of this story as a reason to say you can't have a a kitty carnival at the church um or you can't sell raffle tickets or you can't because this is that's what that's what jesus was against but that i don't know that never really sat right with me i kind of felt like that was a very very shallow answer um i remember thinking that it was a very shallow answer even uh when I was fairly young and um, as I've kind of gotten older and, and studied through John a couple times more in depth and more intentionally um, and, and looking at some of the uh, like study notes in my Bible commentaries and other things, what I think the real issue was, and I, I do think that this points to an issue that is still kind of an issue in our church today Um the issue was, and so to, to understand this, you need to have a little bit of understanding on historically how the, how the Jewish temple is built. So there are several different areas in the Jewish temple. Um, now, there was the outer courts that were open to most people. This is where the Gentiles could go. And the Gentiles could actually sacrifice here to... Yahweh God, um, because there were, and, and we see in scripture, there are, there are individuals who they are following Yahweh God, um, the God of Israel, but they're not Israelites. They, they still follow God. They still worship God. Um, but they are not ethnically Jewish or, um, they don't belong to the actual tribe of Israel. <coughs> And so the, the outer courts is somewhere that the Gentiles, um, which that's what all of us would be, um, it's somewhere that the Gentiles could go and they could still offer a sacrifice to God, um, get right with God, do what they needed to do, but it wasn't wrong for them to be in the outer courts. And the initial... Um, so the initial thing that's going on here is these people are selling animals that are needed for sacrifice to these people that are traveling. And it actually, if you think about it, it would be a benefit because then rather than, you know, if you have to travel, I don't know how many miles it would be. Um, let's say you have to, you have to make like a two or three day trip 
and you have to travel that distance and let's say you need to sacrifice a lamb um you would have to bring the lamb with you and make sure it doesn't get hurt or anything like that on the way because it has to be of good quality it can't be something that's just left over it has to be good um and so it would be difficult to make that that journey in the first place but to make that journey and bring the sacrifice with you and make sure that nothing happens to it along the way um and so these people were, were actually performing a service where rather than bringing that animal with you you could buy it once you got there and then sacrifice it there yourself and so it made it much easier um on people to to do that to make that commute not to worry about losing an animal on the way um but what they were doing was they were making it a bigger scene and with how they were conducting themselves it was causing uh, a distraction for the gentiles that were there that were trying to sacrifice and worship to god and so they made it into much more of a deal than what it probably should have been and it was taking the focus off of what the temple was originally meant for one thing i could possibly see as a, a connection in our churches today um something that is maybe well-intentioned that even could be done correctly and done in a right way but a lot of times the focus is it actually takes a focus off of the main purpose is having a concert like atmosphere for worship i think that can be one uh, <laughs> having a uh, a you know a, a big kids event um which i'm not saying i'm not saying there's necessarily anything wrong with, with either of these or you know, multiple other possible things um but and i I, I don't remember if I actually shared this or not. Uh, it was a long while back, but basically what you, what you attract people with, you attract them to, or what you draw people with, you draw them to. Mm. So if you're drawing them with really upbeat contemporary music, you're drawing them to really upbeat contemporary music. If you're drawing them with a, a really awesome kids program, that's really fun and entertaining then you're drawing them to that. Um, really, what our draw should be is we have the truth, not a truth, the truth, like the Amen. absolute truth. And all the other stuff is, it can be good, it can be beneficial, it can, it can make the experience better and more enjoyable. It can, um, you know, it can be a good addition but if that becomes the focus or the, the main focal point, then it completely does away with, with what the actual intended purpose is. And that is something I think the, the church, especially in America today, has really lost sight of um, and really not done a good job of. And then even reading it in that context and seeing Jesus' reaction to that, how many churches would he go into in America today and start flipping over tables? <laughs> um, yeah, I'll let you guys, uh, now that I've, I've made plenty of people angry, probably I'll let you guys go ahead and jump in on that. <laughs> I 
<laughs> period. I don't have anything. He said it all. <laughs> um, you were talking about the um, the outer courts and how it's it was the only place that the Gentiles could go and worship, uh, worship God. Um, I also think so. The the outer I was doing research in the outer courts is where the um, the brazen altar and the brazen is it called is it how do you say it laver or laver? I'm not sure. Okay, we'll go with we'll la- go with labor. 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 <laughs> Anyways, um, so the brazen altar was where um, the sacrifice, the animal sacrifices were made by the high priest, and then the brazen labor was where the priests would wash their hands and feet before entering the inner courts, which is where God's presence was. Um, but I think it's just like it's it makes me just think about like how intentional God was in that, like that the only place where Gentiles could go was also, also happened to be the place where sacrifices could be made for atonement and where cleansing occurred. So I don't know, like, even though the Israelites were God's chosen people, like he made a way for us Gentiles to receive salvation and um, atonement for sins. Like, even back then, he made a way. So, I don't know. That just... <coughs> I love that. No, it's, <laughs> it's good. It's good. And that's, uh, you know, even um, when uh, in Genesis, when, when God's talking to Abraham, it's not just a plan to save Abraham's lineage. It's a plan for God to save the world through Abraham's lineage. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where I think people can sometimes get confused on that is it's not, it's not like, Hey, this is the Jewish God. And then people, Gentiles came along and hijacked it and turned it into Christianity. Like <laughs> the, the purpose from the start, um, you know, even, with Adam and Eve, there's a covenant there that, that wasn't fulfilled. And then God made a new covenant with Abraham that um, ended up not, God upheld his His end of it. Um, and then, you know, we get the Mosaic law that can't actually be f- fulfilled. Like no one can actually live that out perfectly except for Jesus who came and did it. And then now we're able to enter into that through a new covenant that God has made um through the sacrifice that was made uh, with Jesus and through all of that. And it's, it's crazy once you start looking at like really looking at a lot of the connections between the different books and and stories and things like that. And I mean, from, from prophecy to, I mean, even stuff outside of the Bible is, is nuts. Um, uh, So, this is, I don't know why this popped into my head. Maybe it's just me, but I'm going to share it anyways. Um, so there's a, this is kind of one of those, it's, it's nuts. Um, the, <clears throat> so obviously back in the day when they would make these robes and stuff like that, they would have to have, um, they didn't have dyes like we do today. They'd have to go find an animal or a, a bug or a, a plant or something like that to get the color. You mean they um, couldn't go to Michael's? No, they couldn't. Um, I found that out. They didn't have, and they didn't have any like Kinkos or anything like that either. Um, 
<laughs> but uh, yeah, never mind. That's that's way way beyond you guys both probably. <laughs> that's an old old store, um, kind of like a a Staples or an Office Depot, but it was like way back in the day. Um, but what they did, and I, I may be getting this wrong a little bit. Um, I've, I've looked at it a little bit. I want to, when I go back through, uh, Leviticus, I'm going to actually dig into this a little more. Um, but I've heard, and I'm fairly certain this is accurate. So there are different ways that you can see Jesus in the old Testament. And one of those is supposed to be the, come on, Aubrey. Um, one of those is supposed to be, <laughs> it's supposed to be, uh, the, uh, the red on the high priest robes is supposed to, uh, at least now looking back, symbolize Jesus or the blood, uh, the blood sacrifice, right? Well, what they did to get this red to dye it, that was supposed to be symbolic of the blood that was sacrificed to atone for sins. There's this bug. Um, I don't remember what it's called. Something worm. Um, I may try to look it up here while I'm talking. But uh, um, okay, it's called the crimson worm. Um, Makes sense. It's used. It's used to make the red dye that they, they use for their priestly robes. But what's unique about this worm, uh, I don't think it's actually a worm, it's, it's another bug. But what's unique about this bug is when it dies, or when it has, has children, um, it has to die so that its children can live. No. But, 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 get this, not only just die for them to live, it sticks itself to a tree and then his children can survive. I, I believe the children no. eat the 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 parent or the mother or whatever it is. So think about that. And I, I might be wrong on some of the minor details of this, but I'm pretty sure all of that is correct. Um, oh but God. that's where they get the red dye that symbolizes the blood sacrifice that is made to atone for sins. Um, oh my gosh. Even stuff like that that's... I mean, extra biblical. Um, the the through lines are absolutely insane with some of this stuff. Um, fulfilled prophecy and, and things like that too. Uh, you know, we're we're all in a uh, charismatic church or, or community, uh, Pentecostal community, and prophecy is big. And I think prophecy is good. And we're told that we should need earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you prophesy. But one thing that really sticks out to me um, is fulfilled prophecy. And I, I talk a little bit about this in Ezekiel when he prophesies to the king of Tyre. And that's actually, it's, it's nuts. I'm not going to go into a ton of detail right now. I actually may end up making a video kind of going over a little more of it. But uh, like, I mean, Ezekiel prophesies literally that the city of Tyre is going to be picked up and thrown into the sea and that fishermen are going to cast their nets over it. And then several hundred years after that, Alexander the Great comes along 
gets mad at the King of Tyre and he can't get to him because they're on an island. Uh, the base is on an island, but then the rest of the city is on the coast. And so he literally takes the city, picks it up, and throws it into the ocean to make to the sea to make a bridge out to the island. Um, so I like it's the the specificity of that, and then see it actually fulfilled in history and stuff is just it's it's absolutely nuts. But um, I forgot why I even got into either of those. But uh, what were we talking about? We were talking about the <laughs> the outer court and how like. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so just the, all the detail that's there, all the detail that had been put into place that God thought through and thought out and planned through um, to make it happen and make it available for anyone to, to receive that gift is nuts. The, I mean, the, God, the creator of the universe, would would be willing and able to do that and actually think through all of it, plan through all of it, and and do it all is is just absolutely crazy to me. Um, Absolutely. But uh, yeah, you guys got anything else you want to throw in there before we move on to the next? Um, I have one more thing. Um, so. Um, the, the Passover, um, in Leviticus, it talks about like how the Passover begins on the 14th day of the first month. And then immediately the next day on the 15th day is the feast of unleavened bread, um, where they eat unleavened, unleavened, unleavened bread for seven days. Um, so like without yeast. And so I was just kind of like researching like, okay, like why without yeast? And so um, yeast or like leaven is mentioned in the Bible in like several contexts, but one of them is being sin and corruption. Um, and like the law, like forbid, forbid like uh, grain offerings made with leaven. Um, they, no yeast was to be burned on the altar in any sacrifice because it represented sin. Um, so in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul warns the church at Corinth against tolerating sin in their midst using leaven as a metaphor. Um, so basically, there's this man in the church who was guilty of sexual immorality, and Paul told them to remove the man from their, from their fellowship with leaven, or like leaven, sorry. Um, because his influence would permeate the whole church. Um, and he says, don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Then he points them to the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And he says, get rid of the old yeast so that uh, you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. So I just feel like there's like a connection here between <coughs> like, and this is me like thinking out loud, but like, I feel like there's a connection here between the time of Passover and like the festival of, of unleavened bread. Um, because this, Jesus clears the temple near the time of the Passover celebration. Right. Um, and so I just feel like there's a connection there. And the fact that Jesus is cleansing the temple, like almost like symbolizing that he's getting rid of the yeast, the like yeast. the sin. And so that he can bring forth the new, 
unleavened batch through himself because he's the true temple, like, as he reveals later on that he's, like, the true living temple or that he'll destroy yeah. the temple and raise it up. So, I don't know. I just feel like that's another one of those, like, connections that we were talking about. Um, mm. That's fine. Yeah, that blew my mind. <laughs> I don't know if you kind of got that. Like, I, I hadn't... Or maybe you can explain it in a more simpler way. <laughs> no, I, I thought that was good. Um, I hadn't... I mean, you know, reading through it says that it's it's around Passover. Um, and I believe that's the... in At least in John, that's the first... Um, first uh, religious holiday that's that's mentioned, um, but I hadn't ever really thought of that or made that connection before. Um, that's good. I like that. I I do think that it is. I mean, it's symbolic. It, it goes in hand in hand with kind of what's being the, the whole message there of, of cleansing the temple. Mm -hmm. I think that's good. 